You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. We're wrapping up this series in the book of Philippians, and I hope, my prayer is that you have enjoyed it as much as I have. We started out, Pastor Mark talking with throwing out this this incredible title, The Joy of Dying, and I literally heard everyone say, you know, it was this audible gasp, like, what are you talking about? But we talked about how when we when we do that, it gives us the freedom to be able to live and to not be afraid of things. We moved on to, to being like Christ or being up, being in Christ and giving up our, our authority and our position and, and how Christ gave up his own life. And then we walked into something that I know was shocking for him because he delivered this great message and the very next day it slapped him in the face like he was at the Oscars. Before his, before Leanne's eyes were even open, she throws up that seat. I know, it was a bad joke. He wrote that one in the script. It was all him, it was not me. Blame the other guy. Where is he? Yes, exactly. He was like, do this joke. And then he wrote, no, he's back in Southview Kids. But we learned to stop complaining. Once we stopped complaining, we, we talked about how our past is history. And, and we got to, we, we, we heard about not living in the rearview mirror anymore. Just snap it off. And then last week, he talked about all the feels and all of the hacks and, and the ways to, to, to do different things and, and how to hack your mood and to, to, to change your perspective on things. And, you know, it was really interesting because all last week, he heard, and we heard as a, as a pastoral staff, we heard about people who really came out and said, you know what, your message on fear and anxiety, man, that just, that, that was so on time because that's things that we struggle with. And, and I sat here and I was like, man, I heard so many things in that message, but fear and anxiety didn't stick out to me until I started preparing for this message. And until last night, or I should say Friday when God switched a whole bunch of things on me. And then last night when I'm running through it, and then this morning when I'm like, good Lord, I hope I do this message justice. And then I realized, oh man, I'm walking in fear and anxiety. I need to, why am I doing this? It's, it, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. So we get to the end of the chapter, the last 13 verses of chapter four, and it's Paul's sign off. And in this letter, you have to understand, though, before, before we get to reading the scripture, I want you to, to understand the, why this letter is so important besides just being a book in the Bible. This is actually, it's, it's kind of a thank you letter for, for mission support. And it's, it's really a, a, an informal letter that Paul wrote. He kind of shifts from topic to topic and subject to subject. And, and in this letter, more so than a lot of the other books, he uses personal pronouns oh, oh, about a hundred times. Well, that's great, Pastor Josh, but what's, that? what's the big deal with that? The book is only 104 verses long. That's almost one per verse because it's him talking to his people. It's him talking to these followers. It's a letter crafted in, in love and in fellowship. He doesn't go in here like he does in Corinthians and tell them, admonish them and tell them the things that they need to be doing correctly or the things they need to be doing differently. He praises them. He thanks them. He talks about their faithfulness. This, is a, this book is, this four chapters is a beautiful picture of how fellowship among Christians should be. Why does that matter? Because in these last 13 verses are some of the most impactful exhortation pieces in the whole book. 
He doesn't close his letter sincerely or best regards. No, he closes it with love and fellowship. And that's why I've titled this message with love, Paul. Turn your Bibles, if you haven't yet, to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Read with me. I'm reading from the ESV uh, translation. If you don't have that one, download it. That's right. God's provision. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here we go. How many of you love this one? I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or through Christ who strengthens me, depending on your translation. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even Thessalonica, you sent me, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received gifts, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To, to God our Father the, for, be the glory forever and ever and amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be in your spirit. Father, I thank you today for this book, for this love letter, for this personal letter. I thank you, Lord, for all of the wisdom that it holds and for the exhortation and blessings in this last little bit. In Jesus' name. We have a whole bunch of people in here. And we're going to have, we had some in the first service, we'll have more in the next service. But let me ask you this. How many of you have ever written a business letter? Or for those who haven't raised their hand, how many of you have written a business email? That's probably, I mean, I'm pretty sure that everybody's written something. How do those usually start? I mean, they're usually, they're, they're, they're dear sir, or they're the, the, the classic to whom it may concern. Why? Because it's a typical greeting. You don't know if you're greeting if you're greeting a, a male or a female. Paul doesn't. He doesn't start this personal letter like that. He starts it, "Grace to you and peace from our, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ." And, and here we are getting ready to write a letter, and we're like, "No, no, no! You will get not that emotion from me. You get, dear sir or ma'am, or or to whom it may concern. It's emotionless. There's nothing. You're not getting anything from me except for what I'm willing to give you." We don't even give them in a, in a strongly worded ver, uh, business letter. We don't even give them a deer. Nothing. We're just like, here you go. Do something, right? But how does that look to a personal letter? How many of you written a personal letter? I know you've written a personal email. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Yeah. So when, a, when we talk about a personal letter, it's, it's personal. It's less sterile. It's less harsh, right? When I was in fifth grade, I, I, let me ask you this. Chris is laughing already because he heard it first service. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How many of you, and this will really date you, so if you don't feel like putting up your hand, you don't have to, but how many of you have ever had a pen pal? Yeah, yeah. For all the younger folks, that's called a follower nowadays. 
Pen pals, when I was in fifth grade, when I was in fifth grade, the school that I went to had this, this, this program where teachers from other states would, would have their, their students write a letter and then they would package them all up and they would send them and our teacher would get them and our teacher would just arbitrarily hand them out and then that would be your pen pal. You know, and of course, as an 11 year old boy, 12 year old boy, I'm sitting back there. I'm like, please, God, let me get, let me get a boy. Let him be cool. Let me do all these things, you know, and, and, you know, inevitably you get your letter and you're like, okay, this is great. Let's who's, you know, you start comparing notes and then you have to write one back. And usually my letters started out something like, something like, you know, hi, my name's Josh. I'm 11 years old. I like riding my bike. My favorite color is blue. I love the movie Karate Kid. When I get older, I want to be a marine biologist because we all wanted to do that. You know, that was the thing back then. And I said, you know, I'd, I'd end it. I'd say, you know, I hope you have a great week. A great week. Watch out for quicksand. Your pin pal, Josh. You know, because those were the things that were important of the day. And those of you who know about the the fear of quicksand back in the back in the eighties, you know, it was everywhere, right? But that's how we would sign it. It was personal. We were open. We were open and we were free about it. We, we wanted to give a little insight. That's what Paul's doing in this letter. He's, he's wanting them to see his soul. He's wanting to open up and bear himself. Now, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. After that letter, I probably didn't keep up with the pen pals. Matter of fact, I know I didn't. Otherwise, I'd still have them. I only have one successful pen pal in my life, and she's right here. And that's because we dated for two years. She lived out of state, and so we had to find ways to, 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 to keep the, the relationship kindled. We didn't always write. Sometimes we got the little dictation tapes and we would just talk about our day and then send that. You know, I, yeah, I know it was so corny and cheesy, but look at us. Here we are. Here we are. Five kids. Good Lord. This letter was written in the style of a pen pal. Why does that matter, Josh? Because it changes how you look at this. If you look at this, like you look at it when he writes to the Corinthians, you're like, if you look, try and look at it the same way, you're like, well, this doesn't make sense. But if you look at it as a heartfelt letter, it changes everything. Starting off, Paul talks about this gift that they gave them. He acknowledges it. He says, hey, you know, I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate what you sent me. This is fantastic. I know you wanted to, but you couldn't. What's he mean by that? Well, he means that they probably weren't in a position to send him anything prior to that time. So he's saying, I love it. You didn't have to. It's all good. I know you wanted to. And now that you did, thank you. But he goes right into verse 11 and he puts them at ease for not sending something. sooner. it's this weird kind of, if you read these verses, it's this weird kind of back and forth, you know, kind of like, Hey, thank you for doing this. You didn't have to do this, but since you did this, you don't have to worry about doing this earlier because I really, it's this weird back and forth. It's almost like Paul kind of feels a little guilty for what he said, but he doesn't want to take it out. He can't hit control Z and back that sentence up. He's just, he's already said it. And so he just sticks with it, but he puts them at ease. He's like, look, I know that you wanted to send something sooner, but you couldn't. But now that you did, thank you. Thank you for doing it. You didn't have to. How many times have we said that? Oh, you didn't have to do that. You're right. How many times have we said that when it comes on Christmas time? You're like, mm, you, did. <laughs> you didn't have to really, you know, thanks for this, you know, bunny suit. Thanks, grandma. You didn't have to. Thank you, Christmas. Time. Yes, Canaan's got my back. It's the modern day, what he was saying is, is the modern day equivalent of you didn't have to do that, but thank you, I appreciate it. It really means it. He wasn't being fake when he said it. He, he was saying that it really means something to him. 
But why he was saying this is because he wanted them to understand that whether they sent something or whether they didn't, his contentment was found in Christ. He was content. He didn't need it. Now, we, the scripture doesn't say a whole lot about, about Paul when he was Saul, when he was, when he was brought up, but we can infer a couple of things. He was, he was a Roman citizen. He probably wasn't super poor. He was educated, you know, so he had means to do things. But then when he, when he, after his conversion, he gives all of that up. So that's what he's saying is he's like, look, I've had excess and I've had lack, but through it all, I'm okay. I'm all right. When we talk about the things that Paul's been through, if you jump to second Corinthians 11, you read this and you really start to put, it really starts to put in perspective exactly what Paul went through. It says that five times, five times that he was given 40 lashes minus one. So if you, if you think about that, when Jesus went to the cross, he was given 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. Paul did that five times. Now, I'm no mathologist, but what I will tell you is that, that five times, 39 lashes, 195 lashes. 195 times he was struck. Five, or three times he was beaten with rods. One, times he was, one time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. And one night and a day, he was adrift on the ocean. This is not somebody that you want to travel with. This is not somebody you want leading your mission trip. If he's like, hey, we're getting on a boat. We're going, no, I'll meet you there. I'll go beside you, but I will not ride with you. He was, it was like bad luck Chuck. He's not the dude that you want to do it with, right? He's not somebody you want to go with. But what he did is he learned the secret of being content in those times. With every strike, with every stripe across his back. 195 of them. Y'all, that, look, growing up, I, I was not spared the rod, but not 195 times. You have, to, you have to understand that the people that were trained to do this could kill a man with one, with one draw of the whip. And they did that, he took that 195 times. He learned the secret. He, it says in verse 12, he learned the secret of facing plenty and in hunger and abundance and need. What was that secret? We jump right over to verse 13. I can do all things, all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. And Paul, Paul is, he says that. And how many times we use that verse, man, we'll put that verse on a shirt. We'll put it on a bumper sticker. You know, this is our rock. Yeah, I can do everything through Christ. Paul wasn't saying that. He was saying that in Christ, because, because he found the secret, in Christ, he could be content because in his high and in his low, he saw it as an opportunity to witness the power of God. 195 strikes across the back. And Paul doesn't just lay down and say, I'm done. Forget it. No, he gets up. He says, I lived, I survived, and I'm going to preach the next day. Get beat with rods, man, that hurts really bad, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to preach the next day. Man, we go to the gym and we get sore. We're like, I don't want to walk up the stairs. Kids come down. And this dude's getting, he's getting rocks chucked at him, trying to kill him. And he gets up and he's like, okay, that sucked, but let's go again. That's just how, that's what he's saying. I can do all things because through Christ that strengthens him, that's an opportunity for him to grow. That's an opportunity for him to demonstrate the beauty and the power that is in Christ. 
Paul faced those times over and over and over again because of the revelatory power of Christ. Paul sat in it. He could have walked away at any time. Sometimes we forget about that. Paul could have walked away. Paul could have been like, you know what? Nope, this is way too much. But he knew that with every piece of it, that he was going to see something more. He was going to see opportunity. He was going to have an opportunity. He was going to be an opportunity. He was going to give an opportunity because that's what Christ called him to do. Paul's happiness and contentment were contingent on one thing and one thing alone, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why he told the people, hey, your gift is great, but I'm good. It's great. It will help. It will, it will further the mission, but I'm good. I didn't need it. He didn't want them focusing on the gift. He didn't want them focusing on money. He didn't want them focusing on the thing that they, that they saved up and built for and then turn around and, and give it to them. Because then what happens is they shift their focus from what God has called them to do to raising what they think is going to be the gift. And then that becomes their idol. That becomes what they chase after. Paul's saying, look, thank you, but don't focus on that. Focus on Christ. Your gift is great, y'all, but Christ is the true gift. That goes against the system of the day. The thought process back in that day was, was true contentment is, is found when you, when you gather, when you have self-reliance, when you're not dependent on somebody else. That's what, the, that's what contentment was back then. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter if you gather. It doesn't matter if you have. It doesn't matter if you don't have. True contentment's found in Christ. Because Christ, through Christ, everything can be done. So when we read this and we, we, we read it through that lens, all of a sudden, that kind of goes against the conventional system of what we think. Right? Well, what do you mean, Pastor Josh? Well, how many times have we said, you know what? Man, I'm going to give. And when I can get to a position where I can give, I'm going to give and I'm going to give big. When all of my bills are paid, whoo, I'm going to bless the church. When was the last time all your bills were paid? <laughs> you know? In our mind, the way that we've been conditioned is we think, if I have, I can give. If I give, I can bless. If I can bless, God is happy. It becomes formulated. How do I know this? What happens when your light bill goes? Well, what happens when all of a sudden you face an unexpected medical debt? What's the first thing to go? Statistically speaking, giving. And even more so, giving to the church. This is not a tithing message, y'all. I'm not talking about that. We'll talk about that another day. This is about a giving message. But when you talk about giving, whatever it is, the first thing, if, you're running, if you fall on hard times, what are you going to do? You're going to try and pick up more hours. What are you doing? You're giving work your time. You're giving your time and taking away from the church. We've heard, you know, in this area, people get it mixed up. You know, you, you start, to, start to hoard things and, and save things so that that way, once I get there, I can give. That's not what we're supposed to do. It's not what we're called to do. We try and give from our excess rather than giving from our lack because when we give from our lack, it hurts. We don't have it. As somebody who, who, who's about ready to have their lights cut off, and you give them a $100 bill, where's that money going? Not to the church. $100 is going to your light bill. Where's your priorities? It's not on Christ because you're not content in Christ. We'll trust God 
for the things that we want to trust God for, but we won't trust God for the everything that we need to trust him for. We start to, to elevate money and, and well-being and all of these things. When God's calling us to do something, we elevate it all over here and then put God in second place. We start to look at money and, and finances and means as a way to, to give a blessing, but that's not what it says. Matthew 6, 24 says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So why do we continue to try to? Why do we continue to try and do these things? When we focus on what we're giving, when we focus on our finances, when we focus on all these things, when we focus on what we're giving, we marginalize the gift. Let me say that again. When we focus on giving, on what we're giving, we marginalize the gift. It takes all the power away from it because you're more concerned about if I pour this out, then I got to fill it up again. If I give my time, I have to find more time. If I sacrifice here, I have to find more time there. That's what we do. That's why Paul was saying, you didn't have to do this. I'm good. He recognizes the honor and the effort, but he's saying it's not about what you sent. It's about the posture of your heart. It's about the posture of your heart. That's what giving is about, is about the posture of your heart. Last month, I stood before you and I asked you, I said, it's our missions offering month. And, and this month, we're going to give you the opportunity to give all month long. And, and we're going to give to ministries in Russia and in Ukraine. This church, you gave $14,000 to help those people. That is a huge number. That is a huge number. Last year, around this time, we, we gave to another organization called Operation Freedom from Slavery. And what they do is they go to India and, and buy slaves, buy freedom, slaves' freedom out of the brick kilns for like $1,200. Now, I am not saying $1,200 is not a lot of money. Please don't take it that way. But $1,200 is not a lot of money to buy the freedom of an entire family. Last year, we gave $14,000 to them. That's this church. That's you guys. We're getting ready to, to take a mission trip at the end of here in, in another two months, month and a half. And we're going to, this month, we're going to have the opportunity to, to pour into that mission trip. So that, that way we can take them a love offering, not because it gives us accolades, not because we can stand here and be like, yeah, look at us. Southview is great. No, because God called us to give. God called us to, to bless. God called us to say, Hey, you know what you need, whether you're going to tell us or not, you need it. Here it is. God didn't call us to judge the needs of other people. God called us to fill those needs, to give, right? My dad told me, a long time ago, my dad told me that, that I, I told him that I saw this homeless guy and, and I, I gave him $5 and, and he said this, he said, you know, he said, sometimes those people, he said, people will get down on you for, for giving people money like that. He said, because they're going to run off, they're going to get, go get a drink, go get a beer, they're going to get drunk, and it's going to feed their habit. He said, but that's not what God called us to do. What God called us to do was give. God didn't call you to judge the hearts of the, of the recipient. God called you to give. Again, this is not just finances. Paul even said that. Paul even illustrated that your gift is great, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I'm more interested in the fruit to your credit than the financial gift. Paul cared more about what their effort did in the heavenlies than what it did for him in the natural. How do we give? What's our heart posture? Are we begrudgingly? And look, I'm not, again, I'm not just talking about, look, 
you take that and put it away. I'm not just talking about that. How many hours do you have in a day? 24. How many hours do I have in a day? 24. Where's your tithe? Where's your, where's your giving on your 24 hours? What are you giving to? What's your talent? You a musician? You a teacher? Are you someone who can, who can, who can pass a bucket, who can help somebody find a seat? Where's your, what's your talent? What are you, where's your giving off of that? It's not just about finances. It's not just about your dollar bills. Time, talent, and treasure. Do we focus on, on the gift, on, on building it up, or do we focus on, man, this is going to bless Aiden. This is, this is how it's going to, I'm going to bless him. I don't care what he does with it. God called me to bless him. He didn't call me to judge him or say, oh, well, you know what? I could give this kid $1,000, but he's just going to go out and blow it. No, God said give him $1,000. So that's my calling. That's what I'm supposed to do. What happens when we, do, when we, when we start to analyze where we're, where we're giving? Well, we start to find out where your heart is. You start to find out where your loyalties are. We're only, we can only have one treasure. There's only one thing that you can focus on. What is yours? As I was preparing for this, I found this really great analogy. Imagine that you're sitting in, in school and, and you're taking a test, and it's only two questions. But the first question, it's multiple choice. First question is this. Which one of the items below do you worship? Yourself, material goods, including money, Jesus Christ, or your family? Mm, that should be an easy one, right? We all worship Jesus. Well, the second question, which one of these items below do you think about the most? Yourself, your material goods and money, Jesus, or your family? That's a hard question because we all want to say Jesus. We all want to say, yeah, I worship Jesus. We all want to say, yeah, I think about Jesus the most. Tell me how, how much we think about Jesus when I set a Bible here and a stack of unpaid bills here, who are you thinking about? You're thinking about the debt collectors. I do. <laughs> Look, this is, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that this is for you and this is not for me. No, this is, I'm preaching to myself. Where are my loyalties? What do, I, what do I think about the most? What do I think about the most? Are we, are we, when, we, when we talk about worshiping and we talk about worshiping, oh, well, we want to worship Christ. I worship Christ. That's, that's where it is. You know, that's the answer to my question. C, final answer. Great. Do your actions echo your choice? Are you choosing Christ in your actions or choosing your flesh? Oh, there's a real easy way to do that. A real easy way to figure that out. Again, stack of bills in a Bible. Are you choosing Christ for purity? Or are you choosing your flesh? Oh, I choose Christ every time. Open up your internet history. Ooh, Pastor Josh, don't go there. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Because that's what we're talking about. We can't be hypocritical Christians. We can't live in hypocrisy. We can't preach one thing and then turn around and do another. That's not how it works. That's not what we end up worshiping. Are you showing up and you're serving here at church or are you just showing up to church and serving work? You do realize that, that if you died tomorrow that they would have your job posted within 24 hours, right? You do realize that. That's why it's so important to get around a community 
that, that loves and that gives and relies on each other? Are you emptying your, your, yourself out when you're talking about what do you worship? Are you emptying yourself out for Christ or are you emptying yourself out for your family and giving Christ the scraps? That's a tough one. That was a hard pill for me to swallow. Still is. Because for a long time, it was, it was God, my wife and kids. Sometimes it was God, my kids, my wife. But it was until I, I, I learned and listened and realized, no, it's supposed to be God, my wife, my kids. Proper alignment does everything. I can't give Christ the scraps. If Christ gave me the, if God gave me the peanut butter and jelly to make the sandwich, why do I cut the crust off and give it to him? God wants the whole sandwich. He wants it all. He gave it to you anyways. Are we building our life around Christ or fitting Christ into our schedule? Are we convenient Christians? Because if you're saying that you worship God and you worship Christ, you can't worship Christ and be a convenient Christian. You can't be a CME, Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter. You can't be a CME Christian. That doesn't work. It doesn't fit. What about your thoughts? Are you taking each of your thoughts captive? You know, what do we think about the most, the Bible or a stack of bills? Are you taking each of your thoughts captive? So often we say, you know what, I'm I'm willing to, to get up and crucify my flesh every day, and I'm willing to walk with God, but are you crucifying and purifying your thoughts? Are you taking them captive and saying, that is not of God? Oh, or are we justifying it? Well, you know, I mean, I just, I kind of, I kind of thought about that, but I didn't do anything. So, you know, it's no, it's okay. I didn't, I didn't actually take the action. I thought about the action, but just for a minute, but I didn't, I'm reconciling it. Mark 7, 23, 20 through 23 says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all the evil things come from within and they defile a person. So if we're not taking our heart, if we're not taking our thoughts captive, all we're doing is fooling ourselves and saying, yeah, I'm a great Christian. No, you're not. You're not doing what God has called you to do. And y'all, I'm preaching to myself because I have to take every thought captive because just like you, I'm a human. I'm a man. And all I'm doing is trying to be the best Christian that I can. But as long as I hear it, as long as I know it, as long as every thought, is wrapped up in a God bow, man, I have nothing to worry about. What we do, what we think about, where we go, that's indicative of our heart posture. It's indicative of what we do. The people of Philippi, they gave out of their lack. They didn't have it to give, but they still gave. God blessed them with with, with excess There's a website called worldhistory.org. And in it, they said this about Philippi. It prospered in the Roman imperial era. And after a visit from St. Paul became, became an important center of early Christianity. Philippi continued to flourish as a major, major Byzantine city. Now, city's doing okay. Paul visits. They bless Paul flourishing in the Byzantine empire. You're going to tell me between here and when Paul came that that's not a God blessing because of their efforts to Paul. Come on. History says it. History shows it. They thrived. 
Paul came. They blessed Paul. They thrived. Black and white, clear as crystal. It's there. That's how it is. The Bible isn't wrong. Why do we try and marginalize that? Why do we try and take that away? Why do we try and slow it down? Because we can't wrap our head around it. Paul may never have seen that blessing. He may never have seen it at all. But history says that it happened. Sometimes when we give gifts, whatever it is, when we give that, sometimes we don't see the fruits of it. Sometimes it'll be decades later. Sometimes you will hear about it. Sometimes people will be like, man, thank you so much. I remember a couple years ago, we had a, a, I had car issues and, and somebody in this church came up to me and said, hey man, we're getting ready to buy a new car and we have a car that, I mean, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but it'll get you from point A to point B, has a radio and air conditioning, everything you need here in Tennessee. And we want to give it to you. And I said, awesome, thank you. And I'm still driving it, 367,000 miles. That joker still spins like a top. It's an older top, but it still spins like a top. But the point is, it was a blessing to me. They didn't do it for, for accolades to be like, yeah, hey, check it out. We give Josh Carter. No. They did it because there was a need, and I believe that God blessed that need. Sometimes when we give, like I said, it's not for generations that, that you hear about it. In 1847, historians will, anybody who, who loves history may know this. In 1847, the country of Ireland in, entered into what was called Black 47. It was a massive potato famine. Millions were dying. More than 4,000 miles away in a little tiny area here in the United States, the Choctaw Nation got together and pooled $170 which is about five grand in today's terms, $170. And they sent it to Ireland to help, to help with the potato famine. Now, that's, that's great in and of itself. You think, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, you know, 170 bucks. When they did that, a decade earlier, they had just been forced off their land and resettled in Oklahoma, just lost thousands on the Trail of Tears. So you can't tell me that, that they had and that they were prospering and that they were this great nation because history doesn't tell us that. It says that they had nothing, that they were uprooted and moved, and yet they came together as a community and blessed an entirely different group of people 4,000 miles away, people they never knew, people they never met, just like the people of Philippi after they blessed Paul, they received for generations. There was a report that was made about the American aid during that time. And, and it says this, and, and I, I'll apologize for, for, the, for the language on it because it's not PC, so if you're offended, I apologize. But it said the, the largest part of the American aid to Ireland, the largest part was contributed by the children of the forest, our red brethren, the Choctaw Nation. They contributed, that area contributed the most out of this birthed country, out of this growing country, this somewhat prospering country, a small little group of people who just walked out of their play, out of their, their native homelands to resettle in Oklahoma, walked it, lost thousands of people, generated enough money to give more than an entire country in and of itself. This monument was, was erected and, and, and dedicated in 2017. Why do I say this? 
because there was never aside from 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 conversation and mutual love and respect there was never a hey look at us we did this great thing but Ireland turned around and paid it forward in 2020 how did they do that because if you remember in 2020 coronavirus gripped the nation gripped the world some of the hardest hit were the, were the Native American tribes, tribes the, the Navajo. We, we have friends for Lighthouse uh, Ministries in, in New Mexico that we support that called us and said, we are losing so many pastors. We need help. Ireland, 170 years later, said, we see this. We're going to send help to the Navajo and Hopi nations because of a seed that was sown 170 years prior. It's not just about the gift. It's not just about the money. It's about what you can do with your time, with your talent, with your treasure. It's about the blessing that is imprinted on the soul of the person receiving. If you've ever been the recipient of a gift, you know, you know that you will remember that forever, especially if it's something that addresses a need that you have kept down, that you've hidden from people. If Paul never received anything from Philippi, never received anything, he would have loved him just the same. What if that was the way that we gave? What if, what if rather than giving because we, we feel guilty or obligated or, or anything, what if we just gave because that's what God called us to yeah. do? Or more so, that's what God modeled for us. God said, that God did this. God gave us life. It says it in Genesis, he breathed in life. He gave us abilities to do things. He gave us opportunity. Opportunity to say yes to him or or no to him. God gave us his only son for our salvation. The Choctaw Nation didn't have to give to Ireland, but they did. God didn't have to give to us, but he did. Are we going to continue as we, as we look at our time, talent, treasure? Are we going to continue to marginalize our gifts, the gifts that God gave us? Are we going to continue to marginalize those? Or are we going to be the conduits of what God called us to be? Will we live in the overflow of God's grace or in the empty coffers that the enemy has? Where's your choice? You have one or the other. There is no in between. That's it. God's abundance and overflow, empty coffers. You choose. That's where we are. We have to shift our focus from the gift, from the gift to the joy of being a giver. We have to listen to what God is saying and say, man, I know this hurts God. I got a stack of bills. My lights are getting ready to cut off. But you're telling me to give a a hundred dollars. You're telling me, God, my bills are stacking up and I can pick up an extra shift over at GM. And you're telling me that I need to come serve in Southview kids. Okay. But I need you to do this. I need you to pay for these. I need you to take care of these because this is what you're calling me to do. We have to stop worrying about what our what what, what we get. We have to stop worrying about that and focus on, on what the recipient is. Because you know what? I promise you, you may have needs, but there's always somebody that has bigger needs, that has deeper needs, that has more needs. Needs are, are subjective to yourself. And when we look at the life of Christ and we stop thinking about ourselves and stop having an introspective look and start looking out, we start to realize, oh man, there's a lot that I can do. When we find our contentment in Christ, in our highs and in our lows, in our excess and in our lack, we get to see God's mighty power 
the opportunity of his mighty power to work. Giving is more than just your finances. In verse 19, Paul says this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Do you want to receive the fullness of God? Do you want to walk in the fullness of God? You want God to pour his love out on you? All you got to do is open up and listen. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the Son sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.